0: can't stop praising his name praise God amen. for Jesus amen amen and amen well it sure is good to be in my Tennessee pulpit this morning <laughs> praise God it's good to be back with you resurrected if you're from Berean or friends of Berean, if you'll stand, I want to I see all the Berean people just stand. I want to Pastor Jackson. Come out and full support. You come out in full support today. Thank you so much, Berean. We love your pastor. We love your church. And we are so excited to be celebrating your 23rd anniversary. God has done a great thing through the Resurrected Baptist Church. You ought to be thankful for the ministry that you all have, not just here in Tennessee, but all over the world. As your great preacher is listened to in many different places, Eddie Jackson is a preacher's preacher. He can preach his heart out. Praise God for him, his ministry, and his labor for the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask if you will stand for the reading of God's word. I do have some verses I'd like to read before I pray and for our time together. Mark chapter one. If you have your, I know you. I know resurrected is going for the Gospel of Mark, as is Berean. So why not jump into Mark again? Mark chapter one. I'm going to commence reading in the 16th verse of that chapter through to the 20th verse. Mark chapter 1. The Bible says, And as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, with the hired servants and went away to follow him. The title of the message this morning is Hook, Line, and Singer." <laughs> Heavenly Father, we want to give you thanks this morning for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together here at Resurrected Baptist Church. Thank you for the 23 years of ministry, gospel ministry, you've given this church. Thank you For the faithfulness of this ministry to the doctrines of grace to the truth of scripture thank you for their stand their unwavering stand for the gospel of jesus christ that has been heralded from this pulpit over that 23 years we pray dear god as we now settle into your word that you would illuminate your people we need to understand what your word is saying we need to understand the implications of it we ask that you would teach us all what it means, and how we might live in light of it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Who are you anyway? Who are you? This question and others like it are in need of answering this day like at no other time in the history of mankind. With the rise of reality TV and social media and the selfie culture, people have been able to brand themselves like at no other time in our nation's history. But with the rise of this self-branding has also come the rise of self-distortion. Uh, you know what I mean. If few of us have not run across a co-worker, or a classmate, a, a friend, or a family member whose online footprint has made us wonder if this was the person we really knew. Something doesn't match up. Either their online self or their offline self is real. They both can't be real. And if the truth be told, this is the case with some of us here, morning. But even if you're not on LinkedIn defining yourself by your career on Facebook, defining yourself by your social image on Instagram, expressing your life through images or online video logging your life, there is still the reality of how you view yourself and what defines you as a person. You see although the Bible was completed over 2,000 years ago, This is the stuff that the Bible is concerned with, who you are and how you view yourself. God is very much interested with how you view yourself, how you define yourself. He is very concerned with how you as a Christian disclose yourself to others. You see, church. If you fail to view yourself as God views you, you will fail to live a life of purpose as defined by God. Of course, living a life of purpose as defined by God is a critical aspect of being a Christian. After all, did not Jesus himself teach his followers those who would claim to possess eternal life Did he not teach them to pray throughout the church age in this way? Your will be done. How will a believer live a life marked by the good of God if they don't view themselves as God views them? In fact, I would go so far as to say that the emptiness that many in our culture, maybe even some of you here this morning, sense is due in large part to their ineffectiveness in functioning by or ignorance of how God defines them. This, this is what drives them to define themselves in ways that are just not true online. They're looking for something they haven't found. And sadly, if the truth be told, some of us remain name the name of Christ are looking for something we have found, but are not living in land. Mm. Please, Lord. Please. This morning, whether you are online or offline, I would like to address this important issue of self-identity and purpose in the context of Jesus' call to his first disciples in the Gospel of Luke. As I said this morning, our title for this message is hook, line, and sinker. Let's set the context first, which is Jesus's early disciples. All of the disciples were not called to be definitive followers of Jesus Christ all at once. Rather they were beckoned by Christ to be his followers in groups or in individuals. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus was seen at times Issuing direct calls to certain individuals to become his followers. And at other times, he was approached by individuals who wanted to be his disciples. On still other occasions, such as in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38, Jesus issued a call to discipleship to to a whole multitude of of people. Jesus, in different ways and in, in different contexts, issued his call for people to be his disciples. Our focus this morning will be on Jesus' earliest disciples. Mark, having laid out the essence of Jesus' message, turned next in his gospel in verse chapter 1, verse 16, to the matter of Jesus' disciples. These disciples would play a major role throughout the historical record that is immortalized in his gospel whether this story within this storyline we have the call of the first four disciples which comprised two sets of brothers simon and andrew as well as james and john now from the content of the gospels we know that three of these men become critical to christ because they become a part of his inner circle peter james and john become the, the, the most sensual uh, most, the most essential followers of Christ in the gospel record. In two accounts, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, and chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, these two sets of brothers are called to follow Christ. Now, if you read this text, you'll notice that the basic framework of their calling was essentially the same. Jesus is walking along, he sees them, he issues a call, and they follow him. So rather than looking at these two as two separate stories, I'm gonna combine them as we work our way through Jesus' calling of these early disciples. So look first with me this morning at verses 16 and verse 19, the setting of the encounter. The setting of the encounter. I don't know about you, but it's somewhat surprising that Jesus, who was the Messiah, Did not go to the religiously significant to draw his disciples. Notice Christ is not at the temple. He's not at the synagogue. He didn't go to where people worshipped. But rather Jesus happened one day to be walking on the seashore. Look at verse 16 and verse 19 of our text. And as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, and going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Both sets of brothers were apparently fishermen, who practiced their trade on the Sea of Galilee what is it about this Sea of Galilee? Let's take a little, a little closer look at the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee bore many names throughout the history of, of the Bible. And it was a focus of biblical consideration from the Old Testament through to the New Testament. The earliest testimony used to describe this body of water was as the Sea of Chanimeth in Numbers 34, verse 11, and Joshua 13, 27. It's also referred, referred to as the che- the Sea of Chennaroth, Joshua 12, verse 3. In the New Testament, as well as being called the Sea of Galilee, it was also known as the Sea, John 6, verse 16. In Luke 5, verse 1, it's called the Lake of Gennesaret. In John 6, verse 1, it's called the Sea of Tiberias. Now, these names, for the most part, are derived from geographical clues related to this body of water. Now, for us, the size of the Sea of Galilee seems quite small. It's about 33 miles in circumference, 13 miles long, 8 miles wide, which gave it a total area of 65 square miles. Now, compare that total mileage, 65 square miles, to the total area of the individual Great Lakes here in North America. Lake Erie, 9,910 square miles. Lake Huron, 23,000 square miles. Lake Michigan, 22,300 square miles. Lake Ontario, I grew up on Lake Ontario, 7,340 square miles. And the biggest of them all, Lake Superior, 31,700 square miles. The Sea of Galilee was a small, local lake. If you were to think about the Sea of Galilee, you might want to think of Watts Bar Lake here in Tennessee. You know Watts Bar Lake. Sedine Bible Camp sits on the shores of Watts Bar Lake. Watts Bar Lake is about 61.8 square miles. So when you see the Sea of Galilee, think of a a lake about the size of Watts Bar Lake. But although the Sea of Galilee was small in its size, it was important to the region just as the Great Lakes are important to the economy of America. The Sea of Galilee, now listen, church, was the largest body of fresh water in the entire region, being fed by both an underground spring as well as by the Jordan River that ran north to south through its interior. It lay significantly lower than the mountains that surrounded it. So what you had was you had the mountains which were very cool and you had the lake, the the Sea of Galilee which was low, which was very hot. And because the coolness and the heat mixed with each other, there grew storms on the Sea of Galilee very easily. In fact, anyone who reads the gospel knows that oftentimes... The disciples and Jesus would be on the Sea of Galilee, and then a storm would come up from out of nowhere and it would almost swamp the boat. Why is that? Because of the mix of the geography. But by far the thing that the Sea of Galilee was known the most for was its fishing industry. A number of the cities that surrounded this body of water reflected the fishing trade. Take, for example, the city of Bethsaida. You've heard of it, no doubt. The Bethsaida literally means home of fishing. This was the hometown of Peter, Andrew, and Philip. John 1, verse 44 tells us that. Everything from boat building to fish preparations for shipping to fishing itself took place on the shores of Bethsaida. Another city you may have heard of on the northern end of the lake was Capernaum. Now what do all these cities remind you of? Jesus ministered in Capernaum, that was his home base, and he often went through Bethsaida. In other words, I want you to see that on the Sea of Galilee was where Jesus had his primary ministry. In fact, if you trace the background of Jesus and the background of his followers, what you'll find out is that many of the followers of Jesus came from this region of the nation. My point here is quite simply, Jesus ministered in a region oftentimes separated from the religiously elite. He went and called fishermen. Look at their background. While walking on the shores of the sea, Jesus came across two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew and James and John. Now the natural question you might have is, how did this meeting take place? Was this a meeting of happenstance, an an accidental meeting, or or was this a purposeful encounter? Although John's Gospel makes it clear that at least two of these men had been among the disciples of John the Baptist, Simon and Andrew, and had spent time with Jesus, John 1, 35-42, John 6, 66-71, Mark's emphasis was not to communicate their prior relationship. This is important. Nowhere in Mark's gospel do you see a prior relationship with Jesus and the men that he's calling. Why? Because Mark's gospel is focusing on the authority of Jesus' words. When Jesus calls, people respond. And it's it's not based on the power of the individual. It's based on the power of the Word. Uh, I'm following you. One author has caught the sense of Mark's decision to leave leave out the prior contact between Jesus and his men. And this is what he writes. I'm going to give you a direct quote. He says this, quote, In this section we have an incident that illustrates the authority of Jesus. His Word lays hold on men's lives and asserts his right to their wholehearted and total allegiance, a right that takes priority over the claims of kinship. Yes, Mark's account emphasizes the divine compulsion of Jesus' word, end quote. Here's the point, church. Yes, These men did not follow Christ because, quite, because Christ had been massaging them and working with them right. and getting to know them. And then all of a sudden, he asked them and they followed him because of their years of interaction with each other. Listen, pray church. Pray. All right. Christ walks up to men doing their job, issues the call, they drop what they're doing, and they follow Jesus. It's the authority of his word. It's the power of his word. When his word goes forth, people respond. Just, just trying to set some context for you. Just trying to set some context Yes. Both sets of brothers had businesses. They were fishermen. In fact, we see the detail in the story which reminds us that the account that Mark was penning came from an eyewitness an eyewitness who was there. Notice, it was not just that Simon and Andrew were fishermen, Jesus spotted them while they were casting a net in the sea. Yes, They were in process. James and John were not just fishermen. But when Jesus saw them, they were at that time mending the nets. Yes, yes, yes. This is an eyewitness who's recording this. And as he as 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 the eyewitnesses watches what Jesus is doing, he records the fact that Jesus issues this call to men who were presently engaged in their business and their life's work. I'm going somewhere this morning, just keep following me. Jesus and his gaze Settled not on the religiously trained and organized, but it settled on the occupied and the diligent. I want you to understand the weight or significance of this when we turn next to the call of Christ upon these men. The call of Christ upon these men. Look at verse 17 and verse, and verse the first part of verse 20. Verse 17 and the first part of verse 20. And Jesus said to them, follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. Then look at the first part of verse 20. And immediately he called them. And immediately he called them. The first thing I want you to notice here with me this morning is the summary. The summary of what Jesus was doing in verse 20. Notice we don't have an actual verbal call in verse 20. All we have is a summary statement. And immediately, he called them. So this summary statement tells us what verse 17 is. Verse 17 is his call to Peter and Andrew, which he summarizes his call to to James and John. So let's look at this idea of call. Since, Since call is what's going on, let's look at what the word call means. The nature of the call. Uh, the term called in the New Testament was, has a wide range of meanings. It, it can be used to refer to the naming of someone or something, such as in Matthew 1.23, 20, where it says that Christ of Christ that they shall call His name Emmanuel. It can also be used to refer to the name that someone or something was called or referred to, as in Luke in Luke two verse four. When it said that Joseph, at the census, went back to his hometown, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. A third way this word could be used is it could be used to refer to the sense of being summoned or invited, as in the case when Christ told a kingdom parable in Matthew 25, verse 14, of a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. It's this third usage, it's the third usage, to invite or summon for a, a purpose or task that the New Testament took and used to refer to the summoning of a person to be a disciple, to, to call them. And this call to be a, a disciple had both salvific and missional aspects to it. Yes, praise sure. Also notice verse, in verse 17, that in the actual verbalization of the call, Christ says, to follow, to follow. What's the idea of to follow? Well, when you examine the life and message of Jesus Christ throughout the Gospels, what you see is that this is the normal way that Christ calls a person to be his disciple, to follow him. In Matthew 16, 24, it says, to come after him. In the secular world of, of the day, the idea of following or going behind or coming after came to refer to the idea of following in an intellectual, a moral, or a religious sense. In, 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 in the non-biblical writings of the Jews, this term referred to the relationship between a rabbi and his and his and his students. In, 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 in the Jewish world, a rabbi would walk beh- would walk in front of his followers, his followers would, would walk one pace behind the rabbi, they would literally follow him or come after him. That physical manifestation was referring to their, their, their following him intellectually, morally, and religiously. They came after him, literally. Praise to follow Christ was to be a disciple of Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Look at these ideas here. I want you to see how, how Christ connects disciple to follow. Matthew 16, beginning in the 24th verse. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, Did you see that? Come after me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some, some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. To follow Christ is to be a disciple of Christ. Right, right. There is no distinction here. That's right, right. To follow Christ is to be a disciple of Christ, and to be a disciple of Christ is to be a Christian. Amen. Yeah. That's right. There is no separation. Two texts make this very, very clear. Matthew 10, 38 and Luke 14, 27. Listen to these two verses. They interchange the language, but they're saying the same thing. Matthew 10, 38. It says this, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Look at Luke 14, 27. Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. To follow Christ, to come after Christ, is to be a disciple of Christ. So Jesus is issuing a call for these men to follow him or to be his disciples. Now, look at the object of this call. What are these men being called to? This text indicates that Jesus was issuing a call for these men to follow him. Him. The uniqueness of Jesus' call can't be underestimated. Consider first, That historically, during this time period, a rabbi, which Jesus was a rabbi, never called people to follow them, ever. They called people to follow Torah, the Bible. They called people to follow the traditions of the fathers. They called people to follow God. But no rabbi would have ever centered the response of his followers on himself. But it's deeper than that. In the Old Testament scriptures, look at the leaders of the people Moses, Joshua, kings like David, Hezekiah. In neither case did they ever call the people to follow themselves, no matter how godly they may have been. It was always calling their people to adhere not to God. Sorry, it was always calling the people to adhere to either the law or God. When Christ comes, he calls people to adhere to himself, to follow Jesus. Jesus is at the issue here. The uniqueness of his person and his mission and the impact of his war on the lives of these men, that was what was an issue. When one hears the call of Christ, the expectation is that a person would respond in complete obedience and compliance. Jesus was not just concerned that they follow him, but he had a condition and intention for their following. Mm -hmm. He says, follow me, not not God, me, not the Bible, me. Mm -hmm. Listen to Christ. Follow me. It's a person that we follow. Do we read our Bible? Yes, do we preach from the Bible? Yes, the Bible is the only rule for life and doctrine, but the reason the Bible is critical is because it points to Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, you're not following God. Period. But look at Christ, look, look at this text. Look at this text. Follow me and then chill out. Is that what it's saying? Get your, get your eternal security squared away Then sit down and relax in the church Get your ticket Stamped to heaven And then it's been cool on after that Is that what the Bible says? Christ says follow me And I will make you Become fishers of men Listen church Listen church To follow Christ And to remain as you were it is impossible. Jesus saves men to change men. He doesn't save you for you to stay the same as you always have been. There's a radical alteration. Christ says, "Follow me," and something's going to happen to you. You're going to become fishers of men. I wonder, how you been changed? Are you, you been changed? Are you officially?
1: Christ says, "Follow me," and something's going to happen
0: to you. Christ doesn't save men to let them stay the same. He saves men to change men. Let's 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 spend some time here on the on the purpose of this call. This really why this really this really, is really, really why I wanted to preach this text, to resurrect this morning. Y'all are celebrating your 23rd anniversary, yeah. but that's just a sign to get busy. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's not time to rest on your laurels. Right. Right, 23 years, hasn't God been faithful? Yes, he's been yeah, faithful. He. Praise yeah. God, but that's just a sign to get busy. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So let's, just, let's just stay here in this, in this phrase, just a little longer. First off, And become fishers of men. <laughs> was going to be something that was accomplished by Jesus in these men. He was not calling them, listen, because they already exhibited this activity. But rather, he was going to cause them to do this activity. He's going to turn them into this. It was not because they were fishermen that they were called to be fishermen. Right. Because they're going to be fishing not for fish, but for men. Yes, Well, I'm not a fisherman. Well, yes, you are. Christ made you that. Christ makes them this. Christ says, I'm going to make you become this. You're not this now. Notice something else, church. Notice this. The kingdom will not be advanced. By programs or buildings, listen, church. But by men capturing men as fishermen catch fish. Now, don't hear me! Don't hear me saying that programs and buildings are evil. They're not. They're necessary. But rather, what I'm saying is is that the means of the kingdom going forth will be men impacting men' life. Resurrected? Berean? Are you doing life on life ministry? Not in the church, but outside of it. Christ said, follow me, and the following of me is going to radically alter who you are. You are now going to become fishes of men. So my question is, are you fishing? Programs and buildings must be evaluated as to their usefulness. How do you determine their usefulness? You evaluate them regarding their utility in the capturing process or the preparation for the capturing process. Programs and buildings can attract people, but they will never save a single soul. Just because a person is attracted to resurrection, just because a person is attracted to Berean doesn't make that person a convert of Jesus Christ. I don't think think y'all understand this text. I think you're confused. Oh my God, Christ did with these men and what he's doing in your life. But 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 there's more here. Don't don't leave this text (laughs) here. Let's let's, dig here a little longer. Consider this with me, church. (laughs) The kingdom cannot naturally be gained by those who are its objects. You're supposed to be a reformed church here, right? Let me say it again. The kingdom cannot naturally be gained by those who are its objects. The fact that men must be taken as fish are taken by fishermen to be part of the kingdom surely tells us that man in his present condition without the intervention of god that the bible refers to cannot become a part of the kingdom let me hear something have you ever seen fish jump into a fisherman's boat all the fishermen got to do is just roll the boat out there and put, put the row in the boat and then let the fish jump in the boat. And come on, fish, jump in the boat. Have you seen that? Who's seen that here? Have you ever seen someone on, 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 the, on the beach casting their nets and, and pulling in fish? But what they find is that the fish are just running themselves up on the shore. Have you seen that? Who's, who's, who's seen that? But that's how we think church works. We just think, oh, we gotta roll the boat out and let the fish jump in. That's not how fishing works. You've got to go out and catch the fish. You've got to do some work to get the fish. I wonder. When was the last time you shared your faith with someone? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, Pastor, I don't know how to share my faith. Okay. When's the last time you invited somebody to resurrect? When's the last time? When's the last time you invited somebody to Berean Bible Baptist Church? When's the last time? Oh, they go to a church already. Really? You know the little bad churches in in Atlanta? And you're comfortable with them going there? Right. Come on. Hey. We're comfortable. I go to a good church. My pastor preaches good sermons. I got good ministry going on. And we're comfortable with ourselves. But my question is have you been made a fisherman? Mm-hmm. Follow me, Jesus says, and I will. The kingdom can't be gained by the fish themselves. We mixed up on this issue. We just think the fish are going going to catch themselves. We got to catch the fish. There's people at your school. There's people in your business. There's people in your retirement village that need Jesus desperately, and you're so comfortable where you are, not opening your mouth. And i got a question. Are you a fisherman? The fish must be caught. The fish must be caught. And we're the fishermen working on behalf of the Master. Remember something, church, this passage, this text, was preceded by Mark's recording of Jesus' preaching, which was a call to believe the gospel. Mm -hmm. Listen to Mark's summary of Jesus' message in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. And after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, verse 15 said." The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Here in the text, you have within your grasp, church, the very power of God to catch fish. Yes, Here in the text, Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 said, the gospel is the power of God. In your grasp, in your hands, you have the very power of God himself to save a soul. There ought not be any can't in the believer. Is the gospel sufficient? Yes,
1: Can the gospel catch fish? I can't yes. catch fish, but can
0: the, my question is, can the gospel catch fish? Right. Listen to Paul as he, as he describes the power of this gospel. First Thessalonians 1, verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Each of us in this room, every single one of us, has the has capability, not in ourself, but in our message, to see the fish caught. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. 23 years in, praise God, for 23 years, but are you fishing? Are you fishing? This is your responsibility. So the call received by these men was a call to be Jesus' disciple, to leave their businesses and become those whom he would equip to be the mechanism through which he would populate his kingdom. They had nothing to rest in but Jesus' word and authority alone. How would these men respond? Look at at Mark chapter 1. Go back. Verse 18 and verse 20. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Look at verse 20. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat, in the boat with the hired servants, and went away to follow. Him. Notice, notice the response of full embrace. The response of full embrace. I don't know about you, but this is shocking. Some of you read this and okay, well, yeah, I'm literally blown out the water. Yes, sir. This, this, this is, this is crazy. Me. without any hesitation without any reluctancy for the right price, spending countless hours on the water, laboring so that their business could compete with all the other fishing boats and businesses throughout the whole region. History tells us that these fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee numbered in the thousands. In fact, some records say over 3,000 fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee. Can you imagine 3,000 boats fishing on Watts Bar Lake. Can you imagine what it took for these men to get their businesses off the ground and to the place where they could take care of their families? Yet without any hesitancy, without any second thought, they leave the nets and fall They, they abandon everything. Yeah. They leave everything they've worked for. All the labor they've been engaged over this, they simply drop it and they go follow Jesus. Praise God. <laughs> Peter, what you going to tell your wife when you get home tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Baby, I met a man today, <laughs> and I left my necks in my boat, and followed him. Yeah. Wow. Wow. How are we going to eat tonight? Yeah. Put yourself in the situation. Yeah. Yeah. These folk are playing praying in church, y'all. Jesus. They abandoned everything and followed Jesus. hook, line, and sinker. Praise, oh, this brothers. Is, Praise. This is crazy. But, but look at this text, brother. Right? Peter and Andrew, we, we know they're businessmen. That's obvious. But it's even more obvious with James and John. These two brothers, we learn are the sons of Zebedee, and they were mending their nets. We already saw that. But look at what look at what it says here in, in this in this in, in this verse. They left their father Zebedee in the book. You have to work the business, but it's too much for you to work it. So you gotta hire somebody to work with you, but you, but you can't leave them by themselves. So you so you gotta work and they gotta work. It's a, it's the in between time in that life of that business. It's a critical moment. You gotta be there. Others gotta be there. But these guys leave their daddy, leave the servants, and they book in to follow Jesus. You know the sacrifice. You know, is this the type of Christianity that defines you? All right. Let me ask you, does this sound like your salvation experience? I just want to know that this, that this was ever happened to you. Yeah. This is what it means to be a believer. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right. You, yes, sir. You, you don't get it. That's it. Praise. Some of us look at the text like this and this, and we say, man, nah, that can't be right. <laughs> That interpretation. I I got a few problems Uh, just, Let me just spend a few moments on the on the normality of their response. See, because some people in hearing an interpretation like I just gave this text, say, well, of course. They're the disciples. What else are they going to do? Right? Right? Let's be honest. We're listening to this and we're saying, that's the inner circle. You You said it at the beginning of the circle. That's what the disciples got to do. But us regular pew people. We, 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 I mean, I'm this little old Christian in the pew here, <laughs> and, and resurrected to join my church. You know, that that, that this type of sacrifice here that these guys make, that wasn't what I had to do. Because that's for those people going into full-time ministry. <laughs> that, that's the catalog in me. That, that, that's what that's, that's where this ultimately goes. This is a full-time ministry call. Gonna call the salvation pastor. I wonder if you're right or I'm right here. Let's 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 settle this. And, and the only way that we can really settle this, you know, we can speculate back and forth, but the only way we can really settle this is let's go to the Bible. Let's let's see if this is normal or not. Let's see how unusual this is. That we're experiencing here. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Great, I, I just want to see if I'm making up this interpretation Was actually coincides with the Bible. Luke chapter 9. Let's just see if this is normal or not. Luke chapter 9, beginning in the 57th verse. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Commit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, not someone's, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now what do you think? I the day me, it doesn't seem that there's any difference between what happened with these men right. and what's going on in this text. That's right. That's right. Jesus' perspective seems to be that when you become a true disciple of Christ, you give up all for Him, that's and there is no question it is the expectation. That's right. yeah. that's right. And you know what Christ expects? No hesitancy. All right. Preach, ah, let me figure this out. Later. Ah, let me, let me. I ain't got time for that. What? Preach, he expects you to respond. To respond completely. To abandon everything. Right. And to follow him. Amen. Yes, sir. Until that's true of you. You're not ready to be a disciple. Or in other words. You're not ready to be a believer. Preach. Hmm. Some of you still aren't convinced. Turn to Mark 10. Turn to Mark 10. Turn to Mark 10. 10. What intrigues me the most about Mark 10 and the story of the rich young ruler is this person was coming to Jesus. Jesus was not going to him. And he was coming to Jesus saying, I... Want eternal life. Yeah. yeah. Don't miss that. Yeah. Not I want to be a better believer. Yeah. I want to get closer to God. This is what I'm saying. I want eternal life. Jesus, how can I get eternal life? That's the context. You know what happened? At first, Jesus says, You know what the law says? Follow the commandments. He said, oh, Jesus, I've been doing that flawlessly. Okay. Christ doesn't deal with that. But Christ gets down to brass tacks. Chapter 10, verse 21. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. If you want eternal life, here's the one thing you've got to do, buddy. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven come follow me yes church remember this is a response i want eternal life and how does jesus respond to the question of eternal life he responds to the question about eternal life with a call to be his disciple. This demonstrates the falsehood of separating salvation from discipleship. You see the text? I want eternal life. Here's how you get it be my disciple. The idea that you can be saved and not a disciple is false doctrine. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, it is. You cannot, you cannot be a believer and not be a disciple. I want eternal life, Jesus. Be my disciple. It's very simple. It's very easy. That's right. Amen. Amen. And being a disciple is a call to abandon everything and join yes, sir. Jesus. Yes, sir. And you know that's accurate because look at how, look at how the guy responded in verse 22. But at these words, mm-hmm. his face fell. And he went away grieved. Why? Why did he go away grieved? Because he was one who owned much property. Yeah. I ain't selling if that's what if, if that's what getting eternal life means I'm not ready for that you Christian folk are way too serious if I don't do that I'm going to have to exit to the left yes, sir. but church the interaction didn't stop it and didn't stop. After the men left, Jesus and the disciples engaged. And Jesus wanted to draw the disciples' attention to the situation. He used this as an opportunity to instruct the disciples on the issue of the basis of salvation, which is, uh, which is found not in man. He began by exploding the Jewish myth controlled the thinking of the disciples that the rich were rich because they were blessed by God. The, in, in the Jewish mind the rich would have been the first group identified as surely going to heaven. Christ said they ain't going. They ain't going. Christ said they're not going. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. In other words, Christ saying, the rich are not going. This literally blows their minds. Look at their response, verse 26. And they were even more astonished and said, then who can be saved? They finally get the point. They finally get the point. No man can save Himself. You can't. Fish don't jump in the boat, y'all. Fish don't jump in the boat. You, you cannot save yourself. They finally have gotten to the point Jesus wanted them to get to. And then watch the next verse. Looking upon them, Jesus says, with men. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, it is impossible but not with God. For all things are possible with God. There can be no doubt that salvation is a work of God and not an ability contained in men. But the story doesn't stop. Peter's listening to all this stuff. Listen, Listen, listen. And then Peter describes what they did in light of what the disciples, uh, in light of what the rich man was called to do. Follow me here, church. You're going to get insight from this next statement on Peter's understanding of what Jesus was calling him to do in Mark 1 and what they did. Listen to Peter in verse 28 of Mark 10. Peter began to say to him, Listen, behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus, what you asked the rich man to do, we did. We did. Why? Because the call is no different for the disciples of Jesus Christ who became the apostles as it is for us, it's the same call. It's the same call. No difference. What we see is that Jesus' demand on the four disciples in Mark chapter 1 was no different than his demand on all those who would be Christians. There's only one call to salvation and that call leads naturally and inevitably to the service of Christ. I'm not saying you serve Christ to be saved. What I'm saying is when you're saved, when you're sure enough born again, yes, what happens to you is you begin yes. to serve Christ. Yes. Yes, sir. Yes. Jesus yes. doesn't yes. save men to leave men the same, He yes. saves men to change men. To change them into what? To change them into fishers of men. Are you fishing, church? A beautiful building here. Love it. Love the things that you did. You did a major renovation few years ago. Beautiful church. Hey. Some of you are more concerned about the beauty of this church than, than getting people in the church. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Praise, brother. Praise. And you think that pleases God? No, All right, man. Praise, brother. Ficious amendment. Yes, sir, yes, sir. You're called to be fish of God is changing. If you're a believer in not fishing, you're resisting the will of God in your life. Yes, sir, yes, sir. That's the only thing, that's the only thing you're resisting this call. Because yes, that's what he changes you into. Yes, sir. Okay. So I got three questions for you, then I'm done today. Are your actions and responses defined by Jesus' word? Are your actions, are our actions and responses defined by Jesus' word? When you read this story and you see that these men base their decision on nothing but the word of Jesus, what type of authority does the word of God really have in your life? Do you count Jesus as no different than any other voices speaking to you today? How does Jesus' word, as reflected in the word, the Bible, define your actions and your daily conduct? When you read the scriptures, if you read the scriptures, I hope you do, do you respond to Jesus as Peter, Andrew, James, and John responded? The demand on of Jesus on us today is no different. Do we live that way? How do you respond to the Word of God? Are you responding to the Word of God? My second question is: Are our lives being expended as fishes are? Is this your spiritual occupation? Being a fisher of men is the spiritual occupation of every believer. Jesus has called us to be fishers of men. Are you doing the work of fishermen? Although God may allow some disciples to remain in whatever occupation with which they were involved in before they were called, his demand on them within their occupation is still the same to be fishing men. Yes, sir. That's, right. That's right. Jesus may Jesus may allow you to continue doing what you were doing before you got saved. Nothing wrong with that.
1: Maybe God hasn't called you to,
0: to, to leave your job and, and go into full-time ministry. Fine. Fine. Keep your job. All right. But in your job, yes, sir. Yeah. you're to be fishing. Yes, in your neighborhood, you're to be fishing. In your relationships, you'll be fishing. Just because God allowed you to continue in your occupation doesn't give you the right to not fish. Each of us can engage somewhere in the process. But the disciple does engage in the process. For this is the calling that defines each of our lives. All of us are called to be efficient. All of us. You should be evaluating your life against the grid of fishing. And then finally, have you responded to Jesus' call to be his disciple, that is to be a Christian? I don't have any doubt that there are some in this room this morning who don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've never responded to him in salvation or they come to church. Maybe there are children who are brought to church by their parents. Maybe they come to church because it's the right thing to do. Understand of this morning. Jesus is not asking to be accepted along with the other means of religious affiliation. That's right, Come to the church and be a good boy. Come to the church and be a good girl. Come to the, join the church, become a member, read your Bible. He's not, he's not asking to do this. What he's saying is repent and believe on Jesus. Now, that when you repent, will you do those things? Yes. But that's not what is necessary to be saved. Jesus called people to himself, to himself, come follow me, he said, and so the question for us this morning, if you haven't followed him, is will you today do what these disciples did, turn from yourself, in repentance, and by faith. Receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Follow Him. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You this morning for Your Word. We thank You, Lord God, that in Your grace and mercy You allowed us to live long enough to hear Your Word. And now, Lord God, we're accountable. Some of us thought that being simply involved in church in some way was good enough. And today we find out that that's not the case. Many of us, Lord God, have truly been saved, but we're not living like fishermen. We're not. Praying for and seeking opportunities to fish. Lord God, I pray for those of us who know Christ. For not living the fisherman's life. That you would convict and change us, we pray. In Jesus' name.